Good afternoon. You're listening to KTOO. I'm Yvonne Crumry. Fisheries surveys are an essential tool for sustainable fisheries management. But in the midst of marine heat waves, surveys of pollock abundance in the Gulf of Alaska made wildly different estimates. As KTOO's Anna Canny reports, a new study shows that those surveys may not fully account for the way fish are responding to climate change. Right about now, pollock are gathering in the Shelikov Strait near Kodiak Island. And soon, scientists will follow them to do their annual winter survey. Fisheries biologist Lauren Rogers with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration said the goal is to get an estimate of how many pollock are out there in the Gulf of Alaska just before they spawn. And so that timing of when pollock are going to be migrating to the spawning grounds or away from the spawning grounds is then going to be particularly important for that survey. But the timing of pollock spawning is becoming more unreliable as human-caused climate change warms the ocean. That means scientific surveys that are used for fisheries management could become more unreliable, too. Between 2017 and 2019, four surveys of pollock abundance across the Gulf of Alaska showed mysterious, mismatching results. Summer surveys showed near-record low populations, while the winter survey in the Shelikov Strait showed record highs. To understand the mismatch, Rogers and her collaborators worked backwards using surveys of larval pollock. We have the offspring information and then we can go back to what must the parents have been doing in order to put them in the world when they were put in the world. Their findings, published in a paper earlier this month, showed that for years when the Shelikov survey differed, spawning had happened much earlier than normal. In 2017 and in 2019, peak spawning happened more than two weeks earlier. That was likely shaped in part by the marine heat waves that hit the Gulf around that time. Rogers found that those changes in timing explain much of the mismatch with the Shelikov Strait Survey. But, she says, spawning isn't the only thing these surveys need to pay attention to. The warming oceans may be changing fish in all kinds of ways, from altering growth rates to shifting migration patterns and distribution. Recent studies in the Bering Sea, for instance, showed populations of pollock moving further north as sea ice melts. That messed up surveys, too. But Rogers says fisheries managers can try to adjust to these changes when determining their stock assessments and catch limits. We can understand what potential biases might we have, and then we can start to uh, come up with ways of, of accounting for those. It's not just a simple matter of doing the Shelikov survey earlier or moving the Bering Sea surveys north. That's because the effects of climate change will be unpredictable from year to year. Planning for a continual shift is not going to allow us to respond as proactively as we need to. So to keep up, fisheries managers need to consider the latest climate science. It's the only way for them to follow the fish in a rapidly changing ocean. In Juneau, I'm Anna Canny. Since Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium closed its Medicare-certified home health department in Sitka last September, many Sitkins have publicly opposed this change. Through a petition with over 600 signatures and a well-attended listening session in November, which Search did not attend. This month, for the first time since the closure, community members shared feedback directly with Search administrators. But as KCAW's Meredith Reddick reports, that feedback is unlikely to bring the department back. Cindy Littman was one of 15 Sitkins who testified at Wednesday's meeting of the Community Health Council, which advises Search on how to best serve the Sitka community. I'm grieved that search closed its its Medicare certified home health office. My husband, Tony Gavon, was the beneficiary of Medicare certified home health services from 2017 until his death in 2019. 
It's only through the unique skills and services of home health that we were able to remain in Sitka and that Tony was able to stay at home for the last two years of his life. Nearly all of the testimony focused on the closure of Sitka's Medicare-certified home health department last fall, while Search has maintained that the new home-based care program offers equivalent services, Littman and many others testifying said they're not the same. I really don't know whether Search really doesn't understand the difference between Medicare certified home health and um, and the health care, the home health they're offering through the clinic, or if they really are deliberately being untruthful. Wednesday's meeting represented the community's annual opportunity to share feedback directly with Search. That meeting is written into the charter developed when Search acquired Sitka Community Hospital in 2019. It requires that, quote, a portion of the council meeting is open to the general public for its input. Some community members felt that the meeting's structure, which was virtual and limited testimony to 15 Sitkins for three minutes each, didn't fulfill the spirit of that requirement. In her testimony, Chris Ann Rice said the Zoom format specifically prevented some Sitkins from attending. I'm on a Zoom meeting on an iPhone, sitting by myself, Jim's upstairs, person number 14 out of 15, reading my notes to provide testimony to you about services in Sitka. Your customers are restricted to a once-a-year opportunity to share concerns. I have the technology and some of the skills to Zoom, but I know people in Sitka, some not, and thus you've eliminated them. Other audience members took to the chat after the council spent nearly half an hour responding to the first three-minute testimony. Community member Lisa Bush wrote, quote, If this is the only time during the whole year that only 15 members of the public has to speak, it might be best for the committee to listen and save time for the public comment. A few minutes later, the chat was disabled, and another community member asked organizers to reopen the chat. Excuse me. Galen? Yeah, the host uh, just muted my audio. The chat has been um, disabled. I wonder if somebody could enable it again, please. Over the course of the two-hour meeting, community members echoed many of the sentiments expressed at the November forum hosted by the Sitka Women's Club, namely that home health had provided critically important services to their families and that the new home-based care program would not fill the same niche. In spite of ongoing public pressure, Search has shown no interest in revisiting its decision. Council member Susan Padilla, who was appointed to the council in the same meeting, asked Search Chief Medical Officer Elliot Brule whether reinstating the home health department was on the table, given community input. You know, with some of the communications and, you know, all of the the signatures and everything, has any thought been given to that to say, uh, Maybe the community really wants a home a home health department. Uh, is yeah, that a thought? Well, not at this time. Not at this time. In Sitka, I'm Meredith Reddick. A major transition is ahead for the Alaska Federation of Natives. AFN leaders have announced plans for Julie Kitka to step aside as president before this fall's convention. KNBA's Rhonda McBride looks at how this changing of the guard will take place. Next month, AFN will open the application process, the first step in choosing the next person to lead the state's largest Native organization. In an announcement, AFN leaders said it was Kitka's choice to leave this role. Kitka was elected president in 1990. 
but her service to AFN goes back four decades. From healthcare to fulfilling the goals of the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act, Kitka has had a hand in almost every one of AFN's major achievements. Julie's managed AFN through historic issues. Paul Ontoguk, an Alaska Native historian, says it's always tough for a legacy leader to decide when it's the right time to leave. No one lands on that one squarely that I've ever seen. There's an enormous amount of appreciation that needs to be given for all the time and enormous effort that she has put in year after year. Kitka first joined AFN in 1984 as a special assistant for human resources. She also served as AFN's Washington, D.C. lobbyist and vice president. AFN's board of directors has created a succession committee and hired the Four Acre Group to help with the search and transition. Four Acre is an organization that helps nonprofits grow and adapt to change. AFN is also asking its members to fill out a survey to help them choose the new president. Angtuguk says that's a good idea, and it's especially important for AFN leaders to hear from the younger generation, who may have ideas they would never even imagine. The way people think about what that role is and what it should be, what it could be for the future, it really does need to take a fresh bend to the river. The plan is to have a new president in place by October to lead the 2024 AFN convention, the largest gathering of its kind in the state. Kitka says she has no comment at this time, but is not leaving the picture entirely and will take up a new role at AFN to be announced in the near future. AFN's co-chair Joe Nelson says it's difficult to imagine an AFN without Julie Kitka at the helm, but AFN leaders, he says, are committed to a healthy transition. In Anchorage, I'm Rhonda McBride. This is KTOO.